Cello. Hope your week is going well. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the podcast. I am on episode nine. And here's a fun stat. Did you know that 85% of podcasts don't make it past episode eight? Mm-hmm. So suck on that 450,000 other podcasts that will be created this year. We out here. So thanks for all your comments on last week's podcast. Keep them coming. Here's uh, one comment someone left sent in by BTCDA. This podcast made my ears feel like how my mouth feels when I eat premium thick-cut bacon. Journey into musicianship in an era where Ariana Grande can get a top 10 single with as much effort it takes to pee in a pool. This is much needed. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that nice comment. Um, My next guest definitely turned in his 10,000 hours. Slot A is the real deal, my friends. Super cool guy, very much a veteran in the game, despite what consequence of sound says. In fact, there is so much nuggets of insight into the world of production crammed into this hour. This could easily have been a workshop or a class. But don't worry, this this episode's still free. I'm just saying, you know, if music is your thing, then slot A is your teacher. And we have a wonderful conversation about growing up near Detroit, his migration to New York and back to Chicago, gangs, family, marriage, life, the hustle. His latest work, be sure to cop Jamila Woods' anticipated sophomore album. It comes out May 10th, and he's got a handful of joints on there and a slew of other projects he's coming out. I think that's it, man. Follow us on uh, Instagram, Bedroom Beethoven. Same for YouTube. Twitter is Bedroom Beat Pod. That's Bedroom B-E-E-T Pod. Leave me a comment on iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts, as they call it now, and uh, I'd appreciate it. All right, now it's time for episode nine. The illuminating, the kind, the informative slot A. I'm your host, Cello, and it's the Bedroom Beethoven small world that's crazy <laughs> uh first and foremost though, man happy first wedding anniversary i know it's somewhere around this time yeah thank you uh yeah it's, it's gonna be on the 24th it's a, it's an interesting time it's a it's a weird time too but my my so my father who is the reason that i kind of got into music i guess his death was uh his death anniversary 
and it'll be the 25th year that he's been gone will be uh, the 22nd. And then our wedding date, our anniversary for that is the 24th. Oh, okay. So uh, was that intentional to have like so- like something beautiful next to something that you can kind of remember or it was just a coincidence and just how the dates lined up? Um, initially started out that way because we were either going to do it sometime around my birthday, which is around Memorial Day. And then we saw the price jump. <laughs> and so um, I was like, you know what? I get a chance to celebrate something new. And that isn't necessarily always a sore spot. Like normally how I know what's going on in my life or when the year, where the year is, is my mother's birthday, which is the top of the year, which is uh, New Year's Day. I know spring's getting ready to happen around my, the passing of my father. I know summer's getting ready to be here by my birthday. And then I know things are wrapping up around my brother's birthday, which is the end of uh, November. And so I wanted something different. Like it's, it's, because it always sucked, man. Like, it always, like, damn, all right. All right, word pops past around this time. All right, but I know spring, you know, getting ready to go into, like, a new season. Tell me what you learned. Like, because they say the first year of marriage is the hardest. Man, all right, so what's what's interesting is me and her have been together. Um, this will be our 11th year together. We've lived together. We've kind of gone through all of that. I don't think people give marriage enough credit. I think, you know what I'm saying, particularly if you haven't been married or whatever the case may be. I think people think that shit is like a joke. You become responsible for somebody and how to keep responsibility and, and love intact is um it's kind of a, a weird wedge. You know what I'm saying? It's like a weird thing to like navigate. No, I, I get it. I, I I married I married my wife after just eight months, but we've been married we just we just celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary and like I agree with you and it's it's a lot of work. Whenever I meet like a couple that says like, Oh, we never fight and all that. I'm just like, then you ain't really, you ain't really married, man. Cause nice. me, me and my wife fight all the time, but we love each other. We, we, you know, we put each other, uh, before the other and it's work and it's, it's definitely serious. With, with no test, there's no testimony. You know what I mean? And, it, and that, I feel like that's how relationships kind of work and flourish. Like, yo, you should be tested. And, and, you know, you to know? tell tell me about, like aligning with women, whether it's like Ness Heads or Jamila Woods, because I know you feel like karma kind of corrected itself by making your wife an honest woman. And this might be a selfish question because I'm married and I'm yeah. actually raising two daughters myself. Congrats, and I feel man. like I feel like you have some. Uh, thank you. I feel like you have some wisdom you could slide in my direction because I don't. I can't, I can't really reach out to my immediate friends and kind of share that same same mindset. And I feel like you kind of get me in that sense. You know what's crazy, and this will backtrack a little bit, but. I've been pursuing music since I was about like 15, 16. I'm 32 going on 33. And I went through a real lull in my life where I was in place. I was doing the things that you think, you know, doing music is or, you know, being able to provide for yourself or whatever the case may be. But um, I think the illest thing in that, I don't, I think everyone kind of tells you like, yo, get married, get married, get married, get married. But no one kind of tells you, like, yo, once you start doing right by somebody that you've been idling next to, no one tells you that one of the more emotional moments is not seeing her in the dress. It's not at the, like, you know what I'm saying? It's not like the formal shit, but it's more so like 
once you see her coming down the aisle, the music begins and she starts walking towards you. Oh, shit, this is real. It's not a game. All right, cool. And then, you know, it's, it's not like you ever stepped out or anything like that, but it's just like the priorities change. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was so focused on doing this just for me. Like, I, I didn't necessarily always factor her in properly or as good as I should have. And so once that day hit and then we kind of went on, it was dope saying like, oh, who's who's this with you? Oh, that's my wife. That clicked for me because before I kind of avoided working with women. If we're being completely honest, I was just, I'm not trying to get, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm a straight male. I'm not necessarily trying to get at your loins. I'm not trying to, you know, I can't slide you a beat for this or, you know, be easily manipulated into something silly. But I had a, a wife to be responsible to, so it made the other relationships a lot easier. It was like a, I felt like it was like a cleanse. You know, when you become a man of a certain age, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I'll be honest. I didn't do right by women. I was a misogynist. I bought girls drinks, not because I wanted to quench thirst, but maybe I wanted something out of them. Facts. I didn't always, yeah, I didn't always respect them the best I could. But I'll tell you this: that when I proposed, I was ready, and I felt like I was ready. And um, I'm really glad to hear that because even in your early 30s, you're progressing as a producer and you're still growing and getting better. And I, we will get into like the Jamila Woods stuff and all that. But if you don't mind, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go back to the beginning. I know you kind of grew up in the Michigan area and that's kind of in Ann Arbor, but that's kind of less than like 40 miles from Detroit. Facts. All I know about Detroit is like Dilla and 8 Mile. So could you... Paint me kind of a picture growing up in that area from your personal experience. I grew up in a small city called Ypsilanti, Michigan, right next to Ann Arbor, Michigan. They're sister cities. It's if you sneeze, you're in the city. Like you'll you'll breeze a push you and you're in Ann Arbor. Um so I grew up in that primary order. It's it's like you said, it's about forty minutes away. My mother grew up in Detroit. All of my family on her side is in Detroit. Okay. I would spend holidays, summers, going out to Detroit, hanging out with my cousins, staying with my uncle. Um, I didn't really get a chance to get into it culturally until I got a lot older. And then, you know, like you, you come there for family holidays, 4th of July, Belle Isle, but it wasn't really anything substantial. It wasn't like you were there for weeks. You know, you had to move around in the city, but I ended up learning a lot about Detroit once I became an adult and I, I was coming back for shows and you would see, you know, dudes throwing shows like Blue Collar Gentlemen. After you kind of get past the music scene, you kind of start running into like the art scene, meeting people who are wonderful photographers, everything. What was so interesting about Detroit from other big cities or other other cities, period, is that, like, experienced one of the biggest shocks when they had the white flight from the city after the riots. And so you had a lot of infrastructure that was there for it to crumble. But you end up finding out, like, okay, people are going to make things work here. They'll tell you something like, hey, man, we're going to go to Marble Bar. And Marble Bar is one of the more beautiful venues internally. But if you have to find parking outside of Marble Bar, man, like, and you're not necessarily used to the hood or used to desolate streets, it looks crazy. Like, I was 16 sneaking into clubs in Detroit. Me and my homies would go out there and party, and 
that's when I got a chance to see a lot of the black fraternities. That's what made me want to go to college. I wanted to be a Q. So you avoided like the, I don't know, the, the Detroit gang life. You were more like cultural into the arts, photography, music. Like yeah, you found yeah. solace in, in your creativity. The street side of it, I mean, I don't know. I never went looking for it. So it was never really, never really my stuff. Like I grew up listening to like, I mean, I like street rap. Like, you know what I'm saying? The Raekwons, the Brother Lynch Hums, the MC8s. 8-Ball, MJG, the AZs and stuff like that. I, I, uh, cool G Raps. I loved all that. Yeah. Mob Deeps. But it was never something I was going out of my way to look for. Well, I always felt like back in the day, like there was like, uh, it, it wasn't cohesive. And like, if you went anywhere abroad and you said you were like from Detroit or you were a Detroit rapper, like nobody cared. Probably because instead of being unified, everybody kind of had their own agenda. And, you know, I grew up in Texas, so we had yeah. Swisher House. It was people constantly putting other people on. You had Little Flip who put on the SUC. You had Mike Jones, Camille in there who kind of put on Paul Wall was still tipping. Then you had UGK. They collaborated with Outkast. Yeah. Then they had Jay-Z and it kind of spiderweb from there. But when I look at Detroit, it's kind of like, all right, you have like Elzai or Big Sean, Obi Trice, Royce. Nobody's really collaborating. I don't know if it was like kind of frustrating because I, I read a little bit of your backstory. I know you you kind of went to Brooklyn or you know New York, yeah. and you were kind of figuring life out there. And I'm I'm sure the dynamic kind of shifted from okay, well I grew up in this area in the arts, and now I'm in like okay, this is where everyone tries to make it. You know, this is a unification of creative people. New York taught me one of the biggest lessons. All right, one one thing is it's it's kind of three parts. So the first part is no one loves you like you get that together first that's never gonna you know what i'm saying like unless you really put yourself there you're never gonna do it second those who are of the arts will appreciate another person who does art well however if you don't come into anything with a business acumen it's a wash go home so how do you get that if you're if you go to new york and you don't know too many people What's the what's the game plan? What was the plan that you had in your head? My whole thing was I was like, man, I'll, I'm going to shoot my shot. I'm going to try to go to as many things as I can. All right, so before I got to New York, there was a dude named Ant, also known as uh, TV Tony, really good friends with him. We meet through a friend of mine from Chicago named Jamel. We get really close. He's supposed to move here. Doesn't work out. He says, yo, come to New York. I moved to New York because he owed me money. I ended up staying there for free. I get this internship with this uh, at this studio called uh, New Media NY. It was owned by Bob Basie Brockman, dude who did stuff for Kirk Franklin, Aretha Franklin, Notorious B.I.G., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You name it, he's worked with him. I go get that internship. I'm thinking, okay, cool. I'm going to get a chance to get around the people. And then once you find out, like, I had a lot of um, almost kind of grandiose ideas of the people who were creating the music. And didn't realize, like, ghostwriters, ghost producers, um, session musicians, all sorts of stuff. It wasn't, like, Swiss Beats made the beat. Not really, though. So I meet one of Swiss Beats ghost producers. I can't fathom it, so I'm thinking he's lying to me. On the concept of a ghost producer? Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, yo, you made Swiss's Beats? I <laughs> Right. And I sounded like a complete idiot. because I didn't. But it was more so because, like... Of this big idea that I thought I had of this is what this is going to be like. I'm going to and I, I met 
I met RZA, I met uh, Rockwiler, I met a bunch of people. There was a dude who worked really closely with White Club John. He had a studio in Midtown, and you would go to these studio sessions, and you know you would try to get things placed for for artists. And that was a great experience, but a lot of what it taught me was like, yo, like now if I were to move out there, my game plan would be this. One, figure out what you do first. There's no time to guess. That is the fastest working international city known to man. Maybe outside of London, outside of Tokyo, outside of like the super big metropolitans across the world, New York is it for America. Get into the room. And how you get into the room is, one, you have to go out and you have to go meet people. But you also have to have product. So if I'm a producer and I'm getting ready to go to New York, I want to have my, excuse me, I want to have my beats. I want to have my beats organized. And I want to be able to make beats on the spot. If someone has an idea, something that they're mumbling, I should be able to, because like production to me, in my mind, I don't know how everybody else sees it, is alchemy. I take, it's essentially a transducer. I take an idea and I turn it into something audible. I take samples and I turn it into music. I take these random keys and synths and pads and drums and I give the foundation of a song. Cool. Can you do that right here, right in front of me without having to go home? Were you able to do that when you when you got your first uh, DJ machine? What was that like the the mix man like way back in the day where it was like hell no nah, I wasn't able to do nothing. It was really sample heavy, so you kind of had a you had to be into sampling then. The the mix man thing was preset loops. It was preset loops that you were supposed to DJ with. Oh, man, that's pretty restricting. Oh my yeah. god, what? Yeah. <laughs> and so you end up you think you're making beats and like you're just taking preset loops that are already synced. And essentially creating DJ mixes. So that was more of a machine for like, okay, I'm, I, I, I think this is what I might want to do for a while. Like, yeah, because yeah. initially my whole idea was I wanted to DJ. That was the thing that I wanted to do. And then I realized how much it cost to DJ. And I found a cheaper way to get in. And then I found out, oh, like, no, that's not a thing. I can't sell this beat because these are pre-set loops. I didn't even control this. I ain't cut nothing up. I ain't do X, Y, Z. And then my next thing was Acid 3.0. And that's where I kind of got my start before I made my way to Fruity Loops. What's hella interesting at that time is that like if you had 40, 50, couple bucks, or if you just had somebody who really had love for you, they used to have them in these little DVD binders at Guitar Center. Oh, man. You can go grab drums that way. I would go grab my dad's records from the basement, or I would go to my uncle's house, my aunt's house, my my best friend's house, and ask his pops, "Hey, man, can I can I go go through your records? Can I sample?" Yeah, you know, take a, take ten at a time. Okay, cool, that's fine with me. And I go take ten, and I'll be back in two two to three days. You had a pitch to artists versus kind of how it is now. What was your opening hook? How did, how did you pique artist interest? Because I, I feel as a music producer, instead of championing the artist, the artist kind of needs to realize that they'd be nothing without you. You kind of go through that early and then you realize that angle's horrible. It's nothing without us. You have to think about the modern day rapper, though they may have been the coolest person in high school or whatever, but they always had to do some like super 
overextension of self in order for it to like really matter in order to feel like you really matter. Like I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Like I was on the highway coming back from the airport, dropping my wife off. And there was like this Dodge Charger that this dude had modded. And so, you know, he had like the loud growl in the trunk and shit. And then he sped off and it was like, Oh, you got something that's the opposite of you. <laughs> like, Hey, everybody look at me. I'm insecure. It's like the opposite effect. Yeah, but it's like, yo, you don't growl, fam. That that engine growls. You're not fast, fam. You don't come across powerful, cool. You want that. And so what ends up happening with this rap shit is that, like, I'm not 100% sure that I matter. So I'm going to make people realize that I matter. You as a producer, can you take a, 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 a MC who's maybe 85% confident and make him 100% confident in the studio? No, not even. He could be 80. He could be 50. We just need to have a few good moments. This is boxing, man. This is the hundred. Yo, uh, uh, being a producer, a beat maker, that shit is bo- that you, you find a Mike Tyson, you're a custom auto. You got to tell them they're champ out the gate. And you got to feel that way, too. Any any lack or like or be, at least be able to see it. If you can't if you can't see it, stop working with them instantly. Seeing the bulb go off is the flyest shit in the world. Hearing the line hit the certain way, hearing, you know what I'm saying, particularly hearing your voice or, you know what I'm saying, seeing somebody hear their voice for the first time or hearing their voice over a beat that maybe they didn't necessarily think they could handle or maybe, you know what, you've been through hella takes and it's not working and then that one take works and it sends off that same shit that like drugs do, like that endorphin shit, it's the best thing, bro. And so for me, I don't know. That's the, that's the kick I get out of. Well, I know you can talk to it because you rap too. And I actually heard you on yeah. that on Fillmore's joint. And uh, man, you're equally as dope on there too. And I actually heard that uh, Neek makes beats now too. He started listening two years ago. Hell yeah, I'm proud of him too, man. His whole next album, Quest Bar, is all produced by yeah, him. I, I was sitting back thinking, I was like, please tell me that he got inspired by you to start making beats. <laughs> I do it, do it, do it live for my city on. Joe, I do it, do it, do it live for my city on. One more time, say I do it, do it, do it live for my city on. Joe, All right, crazy thing about Neek. So when he told me he wanted to get into production, um, one of our homies, Custom, was selling an NPC like NPC 2000 XL, and he was wondering what he should get. And I was like, hey, man, go ahead, grab a 2000 XL, start with something that's super limited, and then go, you know, go grab your Abletons and shit later. Figure out how to make donuts first. Shit, he took to that something crazy. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. The, the more I was researching you, the more I was researching your friends, and there's just this cohesiveness that I really like. And I don't know how you feel about this. I Like, I have this theory, like... Even Guilty Simpson is coming out with a project, and he's collaborating with a West Coast producer, MED. And I get it, like MED is fire. He's, he's, but yeah, he's great. You. But and I know people are going to groan when they hear this because the internet has allowed people from all over to collab. But it's like Motown Records was it departed Detroit for LA in the mid seventies, and I feel like there's been this rift or this grudge even forty years later. And that's why I like the joint with Fillmore because it reminds me of when like David Banner was putting out albums with Mississippi in the titles. I just think we need more of that. I, I, I like the, I like that you collab with Jamila Woods. I like that 
Chicago is hugely attached to the young Chicago authors. I know that Saba puts Chicago on his back. You work with Attu, Gerald Walker. They're all Chicago artists. And I see this trend here. Like, yo, I'm slot A. I'm going to be the Chicago hero. I'm going to boost artists in my community. And like, I secretly just, I really love that aspect. And I don't know if anyone else like kind of gives that any thought. No, you know, I I didn't even, I haven't even looked at it like that. I've always felt, if I was able to get somebody in the room, like a lot of times, like I, I, beforehand, like maybe a couple of years ago, before things started, like things slowed down for me for a while. Um, I had fallen out with artists. My other homie, I had two who I was executive producing his projects. They got signed to Ninth Wonder. And so that I only thing I was really needed for at that time was, you know, just the engineer. And so um, was there a strong was was he like in a chokehold to only work with people on no, but it was more advantageous to. And you're very understanding of that aspect because you kind of get the politics, yeah. or it's you know do what you got to do. I wasn't as understanding as of it as I am now. I, I didn't understand it as much then as I do now. You yeah. know what I'm saying? At, at the time, like I'd, I'd be lying to you to say that I was totally fine with it before. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I understand the play. I understand what needed to be done. Like okay, cool, solidify yourself, and then show them what you're capable of, and then bring in whoever you need to to enhance whatever else you, you know sure, what I'm saying? I, so I, 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 I get that much. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's just like, you know, to, I, I'm learning as well. And like, I've interviewed producers so far on this podcast that feel slighted even when an artist doesn't use their beats. So I'm just trying to learn human behaviors. I'm trying to learn behind the scenes and I'm trying to learn how okay. people navigate through the business. So I'm not trying to bring up any like dark moments. I'm just trying to understand from a business standpoint. So I appreciate, I appreciate no, no, no. it. It's, it's not even, you know, it's crazy. It's not even a dark moment. It was a, it was a learning moment. You're also talking to somebody who worked at Apple too. You know what I'm saying? I worked at Apple for about four or five years. And that was, that was amazing. Yeah. One of the things that you learn at Apple is one to assume positive intent. Second thing is you know that you're not necessarily in control of everything. You can only give so much before you have to pass something along. As you know what I'm saying? As and this is kind of where the whole invest in women thing for me is. As men, we are territorial. There's only so much space that we can have together as we get older because our responsibilities change. I can't hang out with my homies like I used to, like when I was nineteen, when I was twenty. When I didn't have responsibilities, I have a whole person I'm responsible for. I have a whole household that I'm responsible for. So my priority is, one, to build a base for myself so I can also continue in, you know what I'm saying, continue in that direction. Yeah. You're uh, you're preaching to the choir because my single friends don't get it when they call me on a Friday night. And I'm like, man. Hell yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the whole thing, though. It's, you know, it's perspective. It's your perspective is based on where your life is. I've seen plenty of people, I've seen plenty of producers quit. And it, it's not because they didn't have the talent or they didn't have the opportunities because they had, like, they had a worker's mentality about something that is totally proprietary. Like, this is a sole proprietor business. This is, before you get to the corporations, you have to build yourself up. Me feeling a way because somebody didn't rap on a beat is the dumbest ish in the world right now. Why? Because if I have the knowledge and know how, I could put that out as a beat tape and I can go make more money than that artist would have made had I sold it to him for 300, 400, 500 bucks. 
Dog, you can put together B-tapes. You can design merch. You can go get $400 right now and get 50 T-shirts. One color, red, black, blue, whatever. One color for the for the ink. $400. Now, the same amount of money that you would have spent on some weed or going out drinking over the next couple of weeks or going to McDonald's or whatever the case may be, man, dog, Go go get your go get your stuff together. Yeah. When I got back into it, my whole thing was I saw Flying Lotus at North Coast Music Festival out here, and my whole thing was I was like, man, I just got done listening to this record that he did for Erica Badu on Two Dope Boys. This dude's phenomenal live, but he playing hip hop on one of the biggest stages. Like I'm talking like Nas and Damian Marley. De La Soul were just on these stages or about to be on these stages. And he doesn't have like a live band behind him. It's just him. It's just him and a light guy. <laughs> yeah, that's confidence. Oh my what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, yo, if you can get your production, and it was crazy, you ain't got a finger drum like Arab music or um you know what I'm saying, or, or whatever bro name, dark skin buddy name is, man. You ain't got to do that. You know what you can do? You can stem out your records, and you can make it into mixes so you can play in between. You know what I'm saying? Like, make it seem like one gradual mix or whatever the case may be. Or you can grab two or one SP404, have beats in there, have a K-Oscillator, or figure out the effects so you can get between record to record. Dog, it's a whole scene. In L.A., New York, I'm talking everything from beat cinema. Stolen Drums got a night out in Atlanta. Push Beats has nights here. I had nights here. My homie Fest Grandiose has nights here. If if you have beats, if you have the audio, you can go find vocals anywhere. That's what the EDM DJs are doing. So somebody's playing a guitar, and then this dude goes and grabs the record and finds a chord progression, and then gets, you know... A, a bigger singer to sing it or they leave the singer if she sounds really good on it now do you respect the opportunist or do you feel like that's a shortcut hell nah because you're doing i mean i'm taking a song that's already that was made in 1960 and i'm figuring out how to grab different loops and chops from it it's the same i shit. guess so yeah when, when you left when you left apple though last year are you a better producer for it or are you finding the transition kind of hard are you more focused or you're still catching your footing that's a great question. I'm finding more footing more than anything. I was already pretty solid in production. It's just more now like I have more control over my time. And so what ends up happening is, is that like, if you don't have like for me, I, I'm a late, like I'm, I'm real. I wake up late, whatever the case may be. Um, mostly because I go to sleep at like around four or 5 a.m. regularly. And so I get maybe four or five hours six hours of sleep and then I wake up, man. And then I might end up doing some dumb stuff like going on YouTube, <laughs> the internet rabbit hole. Next thing you know, it's two, three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and you, you fucked yeah. off a whole day. I work from home. I get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, nah, so it, it's been more so getting more regimented and not beating myself up if I don't meet the mark. Stuff like that. Like, go go learn something, man. Go watch a music academy with Questlove or D'Angelo or yeah. something. Don't watch the Mad Lib one. He's never going to tell you 
Yeah, he keeps stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he just released the Mac Miller stuff, and that was like eight years ago. So it's so regular to him. You can feel that it's regular. I don't even feel like he he feels he's doing anything spectacular. I feel like he's doing. He thinks he's doing some regular shit, and he's not. I always felt like Ono feels that way. I always feel like, oh, I can't ever live up to my brother's shadow. It's a large shadow. It's a large <laughs> shadow. That's, I'm, I'm saying, man, like, I feel bad for LeBron's yeah. kids. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you an example that I do know. Chris Rock has a brother who tried to be a comedian. And he got booed off stage on Last Comic Standing. And his, his, you know what I'm saying? But when he was like, oh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's in our blood. Maybe it's in the rock blood for me to be funny. And it just don't, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. <laughs> this is going to sound bogus, but like maybe that funny shit you was doing at work just don't translate, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah, sometimes like, I make my homies laugh, but I ain't no stand-up comedian, you know? <laughs> yeah, like that. You, but you also find that out with production, too. Like, man, you know, some of them donuts you made at the crib don't really yeah. translate, man, to songs. One last thing on the on the Fillmore Green. By the way, do you know that his name is an acronym? Do you know what his name stands for? No, it's insane. Know. Okay, so Fillmore. But you know what? Like Fillmore, like Fillmore is a whole different beast. So like, it has to be something. Go ahead, go ahead. I yeah, listen to this. Okay, so Fillmore is place haters, instigators last, make obstacle real easy. Jesus All right, man. the green is grow righteously every day. Expect nothing equal. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to him one day, but that's some real five percenter. Yeah, so that's some. Real, you were on that track, and I, I mean, you were on like the deepest yeah. track on that album, though. The because uh, he he respects Islam. Right, he first. grew up in a Christian household. He's spiritual. He thinks that there's yeah. like a creator, someone that gives you these great things in life. So I don't know. Let's right. get deep a little bit. What's your connection that made you kind of get on that track? Um, Rashid Hadi is a good friend of mine. He's a he's a big brother of mine, and um, I write hooks really fast. And so I, we had been doing it for a while. We, me and Neek had been doing ill raps, and you know he had other people, and so he would do. He hit me up, and he was like, "Yo." Or, shoot, we was just working with Neek. And, you know, hey, man, what you think about this little hook? Nah, hold up. You need to like, okay, cool. Let me go cut it. And then I'd write it really fast. And so. If one. Fillmore's voice is phenomenal. So before you get to the content of what he's saying, he sounds fucking phenomenal. Like, there's a part of me that feels like Fillmore could say, like, buttered toast, <laughs> uttered most, and it'll sound tight yeah. as hell with him saying it. Right. You can't, you know what I'm saying? His voice cuts through. And so when I actually started listening to some of the stuff he was saying, let me just do a hook to this. I listened to the record for like about 30, 40 minutes and then the hook came and then I cut it and I sent it to him and they loved it. However, the hook that y'all hear now, word for word, isn't every word that, you know what I'm saying? Like, so he, he had like an idea like, Hey man, can we just omit this part right here? Can we change this? He had some, you know what I'm saying? Like Fillmore is, Fillmore is a beast in in terms of like the way his, his thought process is, how he writes, how he envisions songs. This is one of the only dudes that I know 
who will just sit there and think, almost kind of like the stories that they had of Biggie. He will sit there and think of the whole song, not have it written, and then he'll just hear the right beat for it and then cut the whole thing first take. Nah, man, Fillmore's Fillmore's. I just can't get over that. that you're like now. I'm learning that you're a songwriter. You're a DJ, rapper, producer, songwriter. Like, shit, man. Do you can you use a unicycle? Do you juggle? Like, what can't you do? That's amazing. Man, you know what I'm starting to get into next, and I probably need to chill out. Um, <laughs> is a uh, photography and videography. That's the next thing I'm. I'm so you can do your into. own cover art now, <laughs> man. <laughs> Well, what, what, I guess, you know, we want to talk about it because, like, I got this, like, newfound slot A with his new perspective on women and working with women and, like, the amazing sounds and production that you're going to be creating in your 30s with this new outlook. Let's talk about the Jamila yeah. Woods. I think you produced Zora, which she actually shot a video for, correct? Zora, Giovanni, um, I executive produced the project, and then I produced 10 out of 12 records that will be coming out May 10th. Well, help me because like I don't know as much about the process, but I watched the video, and in the video, she's got a live bass, guitar, drum. Did you help compose a beat, and they just brought it live with live instrumentation, or that was like that was you? You might wanna hold my comb when you find out what I'm made of. No, so I, I'm not going to even jack, man. Um, they essentially, there's a there's there's the record Zora that essentially they went ahead and replayed, <laughs> but they also added things that will add like a really crazy live element to it. Um, some of the musicians that she has, like Ami and Matt, um, are ridiculous. Like you're talking about like corn-fed, gospel musicians jazz musicians all in one place man so they they did their own interpretation of that record and it turned out phenomenal working with her showed me that like you could work with somebody who doesn't have a massive ego you don't have to you know what I'm saying make them feel awesome about themselves because they already feel awesome about themselves without having to be like a dick about it you know she'd be at my house i you know, be beating on pads on machine or whatever. She tell me flat out, "Hey man, I'm, I like the melody, but the the drums ain't rocking. Let's let's do something different." And was that different for you to kind of hear that, like uh, a confident artist to like, "Hey, I'm gonna be completely transparent with you," and then with that honesty, you can create even better work. That's how I worked with Neek. Neek was my first real experience in having someone right over my shoulder while I made a beat. You know, um, so it was just like 2.0 of that. It was just a different person. And what's dope is that she has like this really sweet way of pushing you without being a, like, you know what I'm saying? Being a tool about it. Yeah. That sounds like something only a woman can pull off, you know? <laughs> a woman with a particular touch. Right. She has a, a amazing control, like love of self. And so it's easy to translate and communicate that with somebody else. 
I was reading about the album um, on Consequence of Sound, and they wrote an article about her new album, and it said that she was working with a rising artist, Slot A. And I was like, come on, right? rising artist? Like maybe oh, in shit. 2007. You know, it's like you do your 10,000 hours, and people think that you just popped up overnight. Well, I mean, shit. Yeah, that's all I, I can I'm say like, about it. Nah, <laughs> it's, no, it's, you know, it's crazy. I saw that, and I was like, fuck it, you're right. <laughs> I'll, shit, yeah. I'll be rising all day. Let's go. So shit, yeah, I'm a I'm a rising artist. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm <laughs> I'm close to my three. You know, what I'm saying my three hundred thousandth hour. But shit, um, I'll I'll take it all, man. Fuck it. You find me when you find me. You know. Yeah, I'm trying to reach out to you before you uh, you get way too commercial and you stop answering your tweets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a big fan of yours because you believe in karma and, and not in the literal sense, but in the sense that you know if you just do right by people good things will happen to you. And I feel like that's one of those lessons that you only learn, like to be kind to somebody, to do right by someone when you kind of experience the opposite firsthand. Yeah. You know, so what what are some like, uh, what are some pet peeves you have working with artists? Like, Ayo, slot A, let's work together. Here's my number, but you never hear from them. Like, is there a lot of fake relationships you had to deal with? Maybe, you know, Um, first and foremost, because the music game's a business, I guess. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I'm I'm very black or white on people. I either really love you or I don't fuck with you. Normally, for me, it, it becomes a thing of I try to find what I love in a person first. Normally, people who just say less work, but don't really reach out and really have like a real angle or a real connection or whatever the case may be, man. I, it's no offense to them. Like they're just trying to reach out, but a lot of times I end up ignoring shit. Yeah, I took a lot of pride in you answering me back, and you were even so kind to like invite me inside your personal space in Chicago. You're like, "Hey, come up to Chicago. We'll, we'll talk in person," and that it meant a lot because I knew you are kind of a a black and white person. So whatever you saw in me, whatever you saw in the podcast, to give me your time, I just want you to know it's appreciated. Every time someone is taking a chance on me, anyone, you know what I'm saying? Even even if I was in a better situation or whatever the case may be, when someone Decides like you know what man I'm I'm gonna give my time I'm a, I'm a really you know the equity that I could give to you to help you be great and to help me be great at the same time man like hopefully that makes sense and then hopefully at the end of it we can look back and you know what I'm saying where we're having the next album or the next circuit you know what I'm saying like you at least for me I, my whole thing is I just want to build allies. Well, not so much that, but you haven't become jaded on the industry and you still believe in the literal sense of just do good things and do right by people and you have a good work ethic. And I mean, look at you. I mean, it's a good year for you so far. Man, it's it's been a godsend so far. I'm not going to hold you. But it's just starting and I also don't know where things are going to go this time next year. God willing, it keeps going upward. You fuck with who you fuck with, man. And sometimes you just see something like, okay, cool. Every time somebody's taking a chance on me, when I was new at something, even if it came out bad, and they still had, the, you know what I'm saying, the, the, the compassion to say, hey, man, you know what, we'll try it again. They've always, one, either became an ally in what I was doing, or, you know, because that's what I'm saying. Like, this thing is about leverage. So your leverage is really your recommendation. If I'm not mentoring somebody who's younger than me or maybe just helping people see the way that maybe they didn't see for themselves, you know, because... You know, it's, it's different when, you know, you might be an intelligent person, but you might not see the vision 
of what your intelligence can do. So you might not give yourself the full amount of credit to do it. Yeah, when you were talking earlier in this interview, I was like, man, this is almost like a, a TED Talk. I should charge people for this for this episode. There's like so much good nuggets of information. So I'm going to do my part. I'm going to share like, I know you 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 shoot those uh, like Twitter videos. I, I made a comment on it. I just love yeah. the creation process of it. Um, Thank you, man. And hopefully you'll come back to the show, uh, you know, when all these uh, uh, labors bear fruit. And it's going to be a great year for you. The Jamila Woods joint. May 2019. Yes, sir. I mean, I got nothing but respect for you, man. May May 10th. And uh, that's the day after my birthday. I'm going to remember that. Right uh, on, man. Yeah. Right on. Happy birthday. Happy early birthday, man. I'm going to definitely make sure to save that one in the phone. One of the other things that you learn in sales (laughs) is that people come, like, in Chicago, I, I know it's probably like this all over the world, but Chicago is really serious to have a guy. To have a plug, to have a person that you can go to. Now, there are thousands of people out here, millions of people out here in this very city, right? However, having that one person, that comfort that you can go to every time changes in a shopping experience, particularly if they're in the front of your mind and you already know you don't have to go through the whole, like, you know, the the, the BS of, you know, trying to figure each other out and you know how like okay cool me you understand each other we know we play by the same rules we can talk about things a certain way you know that that level of comfort and that just helps with the process holy shit does it not yeah like having that in the front of your mind hey i want to like your whole purpose is to serve if we're going to go on some spiritual stuff, right? But in order to serve, you must understand the person that you are serving and what you are serving. So a lot of that is, I have to give you a certain level of comfort first. I have to make you comfortable in a certain space that, hey, you know what? We're struggling with drums on this one. Or like exactly what happened with the, uh, the Granny's Prayer record. Rashid knew I could do hooks because me and him had a, a great relationship. So it was almost to the point where when we were working on certain things, particularly if it was like miscellaneous or Lucy's that we were getting ready to throw out, he would hit me and be like, hey, man, you got the hook? All right, cool. Go go do your thing. And he wouldn't even look at me while I was recording it. He just had that much trust. So that's the leverage. And that's going to be like one of the pillars of the mentorship. Hell yeah. You got to. Well, I'm going to do whatever I can to promote that, aid that, you know, anything I can do. I'm not going anywhere with this podcast. Oh, no. You're going some places. You're going to big places, man. Don't don't tell them that. Yeah, I'm going to keep at it. And I know Fillmore is releasing the vinyl, or he's going to announce the vinyl tomorrow. Yes, sir. So, I mean, you're going to be on wax at least twice this year. Oh, yeah. So, I'm going to tell people I'm gonna tell people to go to that. I'm going to pick one up myself. Man. And uh, let's both have a good year, man. Absolutely, man. High five to that. Absolutely. Air high five all day, man. I got you. (laughs) 